Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for preserving our life throughout this past week. Thank you for friends and family. Thank you, Lord, for this Chinese New Year and a time of holiday season for many of us. And I pray, Lord, that even though we are in this festive New Year, that you would draw close to us even now as we study your word, that you would guide us and lead us with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, he's at it again in this story, in this encounter. And we start off by going to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. He's about to heal someone here. And the Bible says this, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. So that word dumb there meant he could not talk. He was a mute. And Jesus healed him so that now he could see and talk as well. And then we look now at what happened as a result of his healing. That healing was pretty quick. But what happened after that? Matthew chapter 12, 23 continues. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Verse 24. But the Pharisees heard it. And they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So the people that were standing around that saw what happened, they were amazed and they said, what? Is not this the Messiah? Is not this the son of David? That's what that word son of David meant. You know, this was King David and this is what it meant for the Jews to call him the son of David. Look at this next Bible text in John chapter 7 and verse 42. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? You see, that word Christ, that word Christ there is not referring to Jesus Christ, but the word Christ itself means Messiah. So when they said, is not this, um, what, what, what is it? That, is not this the son of David? It was referring to the prophecies that pointed forward to the Messiah that would come from the seed of David. So when the people saw Jesus heal this man, they, they said, wow. This must be the Messiah. They were declaring that Jesus must be that promised one that they're all waiting for. But look at how the Pharisees responded in contrast. They reacted quite differently. They said what? Do you remember? Oh, this man, he's casting out devils by the prince of Beelzebub, Beelzebub which is another name for Satan. They were not willing to accept what Christ had just done. And instead, they accused Jesus by using the Prince of Darkness, his power, for casting out this man that was possessed with an evil spirit. Now look, it's one thing to not accept what Jesus is doing, but when the man that was clearly possessed with an evil spirit, with a devil, and that, that was blind and he could not speak, and he was harassed in every way, is now there, clear of his 
past sickness, spiritual and physical, it is clear that a power more than human was present. However, they refused to accept that Jesus was divine. They refused to accept him as the Messiah. So the only other option, since there was some sort of power in play at that point, the only other option they had was to conclude that Jesus was in league with the devil. Could you believe that? They were treading on dangerous ground. You know, it's one thing for a person to have a personal bias and a grudge against someone, but when their fruits like what Jesus bore, when their fruits are so clear, we got to make sure that we judge people by their fruits and not by our own personal opinion of what we think of them. It's so interesting that the common people were the ones that were ready to accept Christ as a Messiah, and yet the the religious leaders, the ones that are studying the Bible, the ones that are meant to know the prophecies of the coming Messiah, were the ones that rejected Him. And yet in this case, they said what? He's using the prince of the darkness, um, the the powers of the darkness to cast out this evil spirit. So how does Jesus respond? Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Jesus replied that it it did not make sense for Satan to cast out himself or his comrades or his evil angels out of somebody. He was going against himself. It didn't make sense. Look, Even common sense and common logic, when you put two and two together, could have figured that out. That Jesus was not using the the powers of darkness to cast out a man that was possessed with an evil spirit. And then he continues and says what? If Jesus was casting out demons with with the, the, the powers of darkness, then how about others? Because he was not the only one. This is probably not the first time it's happened. But how about those that also cast out evil spirits as well? Were they also using the powers of darkness as well? How come they weren't being condemned that by, by using the powers of Satan, right? So Jesus was exposing their clear envy and hatred and jealousy of him that the Pharisees had against him. And in their hatred, They were blind to the fact that they were walking a very dangerous path. You know, envy and jealousy, it really blinds us so easily. It distorts our view of other people. It makes us think outrageous thoughts that we wouldn't normally think. And it makes us, in this case, unreasonable. In the case of the Pharisees, it would ultimately lead them to crucify Jesus at every uh, at the opportunity that they had. You know, I want you to consider this uh, this case in the Old Testament. This is the story of Dathan, Korah, 
and Abiram. And it's found in Numbers 16, okay? And we're just going to read one verse from there. So if you're not familiar with the story, you can go back and read it later in Numbers 16. But they came to Moses and Aaron. And they said, look, the children of Israel, they are all holy. They are all fine. They don't need a leader. You are the ones that exalt yourself, pointing to Moses and Aaron. You are the ones that exalt yourself personally, uphold yourself um, above everyone else. And no one asked you to do it. What was Dathan, Korah, and Abiram saying? That they are the ones that had their own agenda to, to put themselves, brothers, in this position. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 3 says it this way. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. In their envy and jealousy and their pride of the position that Moses and Aaron had, um, they, they, they were blinded and, and they accused them that it wasn't God that put them there. It was they themselves. They forgot the miracles that God did through them in Egypt with the ten plagues. They forgot that God worked through Moses of the, for the Red Sea and, and so many other miracles that it was evident, evident and clear that Moses and Aaron did not have their own personal agenda, but that God was with them. And they forgot because why? They were jealous of the position that they had. And in this case, the Pharisees, you know, when we come back to the story, they, they were envious of Christ, that he was gaining popularity, that he could read their minds, that, that, that he was doing great things and people were following them and not the Pharisees themselves. And so they accused Jesus of using the prince of darkness's power for his miracles. Friends, we have to be so careful that we check and recheck ourselves, that our actions are not born of jealousy or envy or hatred. It leads us to do the most heinous sins and accuse people of such, such unreasonable actions. But let's continue, shall we? Matthew chapter 12, 28 to 30. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You can see very quickly here that, you know, Jesus, he, he, he heals that, that man that is blind and that is dumb. And even though that, that's the title of our, our study this evening, he, that's only just the beginning. But really, the, the rest of his discourse and the rest of his interaction is with the Pharisees that accused him for what? Casting out the demon from this person by the prince of Beelzebub, by the prince of Satan, by the power of Satan, pardon me. But yet in this, in this text that we just looked at here in Matthew 12, 28 to 30, Jesus gives another alternative, another possible alternative to their accusation. If by any chance that I do cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. The possibility is that God's Spirit is working through him and not the devil's power. Of course, look, for us that's studying it, 
we know that it is the Spirit of God. Jesus has already established that it makes no sense for Satan to cast out himself and to work against himself. And then he gives the illustration of what? No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil or steal his stuff until he binds the strong man and then he can do whatever he wants. Jesus is saying what? He just bound the strong man and cast him out. That was the devil. And he did it by something that was even more powerful than the strong man, which was what? The spirit of God. And then he says what? If you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you're scattering abroad. What is he trying to imply by this? What is he trying to say? Look, who was with Jesus? It was the Holy Spirit. He cast out of this man a demon by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And if they weren't on his side, then they were on the opposite side. They meaning the Pharisees, which is the side of Satan. Jesus, in essence, was saying what? The Pharisees were doing the work of the devil. Jesus turned it, it, it on its head very quickly, didn't he? Instead of, uh, you, you know, the Pharisees came and said, hey, hey, you, you, you're casting out the, the, the man that's possessed with a demon by the prince of Beelzebub. But he turns it around and says, in actual fact, by you saying that, you are really working in league with the devil himself. We got to be so careful that our envy, our jealousy, our hatred of someone um, that you know, it doesn't make us to work on the wrong side, on the wrong equation. And instead of working the works of God, we end up working the works of the devil. We don't realize that if God ordains someone and we start speaking against them, we are speaking against God. Even King David, when he was anointed as king by Samuel the prophet, and then he had to run for his life because the current king, King Saul, was seeking his life, trying to kill him. And when King David had the opportunity to kill him, he didn't. He says, I'm not going to raise up my hand against the Lord's anointed. He still said that Saul was the one that had been chosen by God, and I got to be so careful. And we got to be so careful in the way that we speak, that we don't end up doing the, the devil's work by accusing someone that they are doing the works of the devil, when in fact it is our envy and our jealousy that is blinding us. But let's continue, shall we? Matthew chapter 12. 31 to 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Jesus, he talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You can speak against me, but be careful not to speak against the Holy Spirit, that you're attributing the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the devil. They were treading on dangerous ground. Jesus was warning them that they were going down the path of unpardonable sin. 
And look, we won't be looking at the details of the unpardonable sin in this study, but Jesus wanted them to know that they needed to be careful that they did not attribute the power of God to the power of the devil, calling the Holy Spirit a devilish power. But let's continue. Verse 33. And we're going to read all the way to verse 37 of Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Look, this is a good teaching situation in a sense. Jesus was saying what? You either make the, the, the tree good and then the fruit will be good or the tree is corrupt and the fruit corrupt. The tree is known by its fruits. And usually in, the, in, in this text, if you look at it individually by itself, verse 33, we think what? Actions. But really, this whole time, in this whole story that we've been looking at, Jesus is not talking about actions. He's talking about what? Our words. That's where when you go back to that very last verse, verse 37, for by thy words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We need to be so careful what we say. We need to be so careful with our fruits. That is what we speak in this context. In this context, there was no actions from the Pharisees. But Jesus did have fruit though. He did have actions. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, look at my life. Look at what I've done. He was working the works of God. He was healing a person that was possessed with an evil spirit. And instead of condemning him, they needed to be praising God, just like all the other people that were standing around watching this miracle unfold. They needed to be demonstrating greater faith in Christ as the Messiah, instead of accusing Jesus of using the power of Satan. They had to be careful with their words. And you know, friends, this message really is for me. You know, I have a quick tongue. There's, if there's one character in the Bible that I can relate to, it's Peter, the apostle. And quick to speak, you know, thinking before speaking. That was the, the hallmark, the trademark of of Peter. That was what he was known for. And, you know, he wasn't the only one. I mean, there was John and James, but, you know, John, he became such a meek person so quickly. Um, but Peter was the ever impetuous person ready to speak up. But, you know, friends, there's nothing wrong with a quick tongue. There's nothing wrong with speaking quickly. The problem is the condition of the heart. If you have a quick tongue with a good heart, blessings will come out quickly from what you say. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a quick tongue with an evil heart, well, that's where you got to learn to be quiet as much as possible to begin with, of course. Being quiet does not solve it all the time. But Peter, 
he said much as a disciple of Jesus Christ while while Christ was living on walking the earth and and the disciples were around him you know there was a time when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be crucified and then after three days he would resurrect and and Peter said be it far from thee Jesus no this is not going to happen to you why he wanted a earthly kingdom and if Jesus was going to die well the, the thoughts of an earthly kingdom would be dashed, right? So he said, definitely be it far from me, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. Definitely not. And he didn't believe. He was quick to respond. He spoke up so quickly in the, in the midst of this teaching session that Jesus was having with his disciples. What did Jesus say in response to what Peter said, though? Matthew 16, 23, he turned to and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter was always speaking before thinking. At this time, his heart was not right with God yet. He had not been converted. There was another time when, when people came to, to Peter and said, Hey, why doesn't Jesus, your master, pay tribute money? Shouldn't he pay? And Peter outright responded without thinking again. Of course, yes, Jesus needs to pay. Thinking without speaking. And Jesus, he had to show Peter that his response was wrong and he made Peter go and fish the coin out of a, uh, get the coin out of a fish and pay the tribute money. Always ready to speak. Always outspoken. Peter was. And look, like I said, there's nothing wrong with being outspoken and having a quick mouth if your heart is good, if your heart is converted. And the problem is that's where I too often identify with Peter. Jesus even told Peter before he died that he was not converted. Three and a half years walking with Jesus and he was not converted. Look at what it says here in Luke 22, 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's why Peter was always speaking these foolish words. He wasn't converted. But you know, after Peter's conversion, Peter was still quick to speak. He was still quick tongue. Absolutely. The problem is not speaking quickly, remember. The problem is the stream from which it flows from. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter was converted, he stood up to justify the 120 that had been in the upper room, praying together and confessing their sins together. Because when they began to speak in another language and, and so many people were coming on the day of Pentecost to come and celebrate in Jerusalem, everybody heard in their own tongue. And it's like, impossible. These people can't know our language from where we were born. They must be drunk. And Jesus, oh Jesus, pardon me, it was Peter that stood up in the midst to justify these people that had been preaching in a sense. And he stood up and began to preach a powerful sermon, which at the conclusion of it, 3,000 were baptized. So there's nothing wrong with a, a, a quick tongue and, and ready to speak. The problem is what? The stream from which it flows from. So, friends, I want to ask you this evening, what sort of words do you say? Are you witty and sarcastic all the time? Are you always condemnatory? 
Are you always speaking bitter and angry words? Are you cursing a lot? Are you speaking words that are not true about other people, lying or even gossiping? Jesus saw the problem with the Pharisees when they came and they accused Jesus after they he, he had healed this man. They accused Jesus of what? Using the power that is from from Satan to heal him, to cast out that evil spirit. He saw the envy and the jealousy and the hatred that they had in their heart. He saw their unconverted state. They were blinded by their own prejudice. And so even though Jesus demonstrated such clear evidence that God was with him, they still went and said such ridiculous statements, such as Jesus healing with the power of Satan. And so for that, Jesus did not excuse what they said, but warned them to be very careful. Not be careful because he was the son of God. Remember, you can speak anything against me, he said. But be careful that you don't speak such foolish words against the Holy Spirit. What was their ultimate problem? It was their heart. And Jesus, he always cares about our conversion, about our hearts. He doesn't care about the outside. He wasn't, he, he wasn't offended that it's like, how dare you, you, you say that I'm using the power of Satan, you know? He wasn't upset. He wasn't angry. But they were going down the path of unpardonable sin, committing a sin that God himself could not forgive. You know, James, the book of James, he, he spends a whole chapter talking about the tongue. We got to be so careful with what we say. Look at this. In James chapter 3, starting in verse 6, the Bible says this, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, it is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. James, he identifies the problem of our tongue. He identifies the problem with what we speak. With the same mouth, we bless God and then we curse men. This things should not be, he says. We've tamed all the animals on earth, but we can't tame our tongue. We can't. And, you know, maybe you tell, you, you might speak to yourself and say, yes, 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 I have a bad tongue. I have a bad tongue. I've got to control it and I'm just going to be quiet. You won't, be able, you won't be able to tame it because it's a problem with the heart. He continues, James chapter 3 and now verse 11, Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? It's impossible. It's not possible for a fountain to have sweet and bitter or salt and fresh. It's not possible for a fig tree to bear olive fruits. You see that? It's not possible for a righteous person 
to say such evil words. And so Christ was trying to show the Pharisees that they can't possibly think that they're saved because they're saying such hateful and envious words against him. Words that would grieve away the Holy Spirit and put them in a position where it's impossible for God to forgive them. They needed to be born again. They needed to be converted. And you know, friends, I'm afraid that's what many of us this evening need to experience. Christ, he's dealing today with the manner of life, how we live our lives, but something more personal. It's our words, what we say. Try as you might, unless the heart is transformed, unless our hearts are changed, our words and what we say will always be sweet and bitter words. It will be words that are hypocritical. We're going to be trying to teach people about God and and say nice things. And then we turn around and say horrible, evil, wicked things to others. And the only way that we can change, friends, is to be born again. You see, the miracle at the beginning sparked off this whole conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it was a teaching situation. We got to be so careful. It's not about offending the Holy Spirit and that's it. But it's what we say, friends. It's what we say. Because what we say is just showing the condition of our heart. And if we say it, it reinforces every single time, right? We got to be so careful. We got to ask God to give us a born again experience. You know, friends, we we can't possibly think that we're heaven bound while our tongues are still uttering profanities, while we're cursing, while we continue to gossip about others and while we lie about people and, and try to condemn others simply because we're envious or jealous of them. We got to be so careful with our tongue. You know, James says this, In James chapter 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. You know, I, I want you to be undeceived this evening, not because I have any special position, but because we're looking at the Word of God and I myself You know, I have a hot temper and I'm quick-mouthed as well. I struggle with my tongue. And the problem is not just, okay, I promise I'm never going to say that again. No, we're going to look at the heart. And James says, if you can't control your tongue, you deceive yourself and your religion is in vain. We got to learn to control this. It has to be tamed. And there's no conventional way of taming it in terms of human methods. We need to be born again. The Pharisees were were about to commit the unpardonable sin by what they said. It was not anything they did. It's by what they said. And Jesus, he warned them of this grievous sin. And it's too often that, that we don't sit and think about our words. You know, because of my quick tongue, 
I, I see when I offend people, you can tell. You can see how they, they change in their nature and, and you know, how they react and how they come across, you know. We got to be so careful. We got to be so careful. But you know, Jesus, he's not done. There's one last thing that I want to look at. And it's at the end of the passage. There's something in between that, but I feel like it's not totally related. Um, but I want to show you something else here. It's this analogy that Jesus leaves with the Pharisees. And of course, all those that are standing around listening. And we're going to read from Matthew 12, 43, all the way to verse 45. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now look, the, the teaching of this, this, this story or parable or analogy, we'll call it whatever you want to, the teaching of this analogy is what? When, a, when an evil spirit is cast out of a man and, you know, he goes around and that, that evil spirit and, and comes back and, and he finds it what? Clean, swept. But what else? It's empty. He goes and takes, what, seven other wicked spirits worse than himself and they come in and inhabit this man's heart again. And the last thing of the man is worse than the first. Now, what should we be filling our hearts with? If the wicked and evil spirit is cast out, what should we be filling it with? Well, of course, what have we been talking about this whole time? The Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. The problem with this man is, after the evil spirit was cast out, he did not invite the Spirit of God to come in. After, uh, 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 I want you to think about this, right? Jesus is not talking to the man that just had the evil spirit cast out of him. Many of us think he's talking to him, but he was done with him at the very beginning of our encounter that we looked at this evening. He was talking to the Pharisees. How, how do, what, what do you mean? I mean, how does that relate to them, right? Look. What is the problem with this man in this analogy? The evil spirit was cast out and the house was kept what? Clean, it was swept, it was nice and tidy, but the problem was it was empty. And that's the thing, friends. How do you relate this to the Pharisees? You see, the problem with that man in the analogy is he didn't invite the Spirit of God to come in. And we already know that you will know them by their fruits. The fruits of the Pharisees was an evil fruit because they were, they were condemning Jesus after doing such an amazing miracle that they were condemning him for using the power of Satan. And it seemed like they weren't doing anything in a sense, right? But Jesus said, no, you guys have wicked fruits. And the problem is what? You are not inviting the Spirit of God to come into your heart. They were doing nothing to invite the Spirit of God in. 
And look, obviously, the evil spirit, he came back and he found it clean. He found it swept and nice and tidy, and he found it empty. And it's not as if the man invited him back in. They came back in themselves. Look, if we want to change the way we speak, we need to invite God's sweet spirit. It's not enough just to be clean. It's not enough just to be empty and empty of wickedness. But you got to be filled with righteousness. And that, my dear friends, it takes effort. It takes what? It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes an aim and a desire. You got to invite the Holy Spirit in. You got to pray with a mouth that where we just cursed, we gotta we gotta use that mouth and say, God, you gotta give me your spirit. Not just God help me to speak good words. You gotta give me your spirit to come in. And obviously, the Pharisees, they did not have the spirit of God. They were not possessed with an evil spirit. Do you see that? Well, at least that's what they were thinking, right? I'm not possessed. I'm not as bad as this man is, right? He was obviously blind and dumb and he had a wicked spirit in him, right? But Jesus makes it very clear. It's not enough just to be empty of evil spirit. Because sooner or later, something is going to inhabit your heart. And I tell you, it was those same Pharisees that would be in Pilate's judgment hall, crying out what? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They were filled with hatred and envy and malice. They were filled with all the wickedness of Satan as they were crying for the blood of Jesus to be spilt. And they said, his blood be on our shoulders, on our children and our children's children. You know, friends, it's not enough to just get rid of bad things. You got to fill the emptiness with that which is good. You got to fill it. It's not enough to be set free. But you got to invite Jesus. You got to invite the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit into your heart. That means you got to got to take time to pray. That means you got to take time to spend with Jesus. That means you got to go to that door and open that door and invite Jesus in. You got to be praying for his spirit. To be born again is not just some theory out there. It's something that we had to be proactive in allowing Jesus to take full control. Or else, sooner or later, that emptiness will be filled up with something much worse. And friends, today, Jesus is the only one that can change our hearts. And even in this Chinese New Year time, in this festive season, we've got to make sure that we still spend time in His Word. We've still got to spend time in prayer. We've got to make sure that we are filling our lives with His Spirit evermore. And only then, no matter what sort of tongue you have, quick or slow, If you fix the heart, you can be rest assured that out of it will come fountains that are sweet, that are fresh, that that satisfy everyone that comes in its presence. I know that I need 
that experience once again, the born again experience. We need that every day, friends. We need to commit our lives to Jesus every day and allow him to be in control. Let us pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, so often we don't think twice about what we say. We let words just escape our lips and sometimes we have that tinge of regret not realizing that, Lord, so many of us are not filled with your spirit but we're filled with the world and the wickedness of Satan. Father, please forgive us and help us, Lord. Help us to see that the reason why we don't have, have words that bless and bless only is because many of us were not born again. Lord, I pray that you please be with all of us today. Help us to experience born again experience. Help us to be created in Christ Jesus again, whole. Give us a new heart. Take away that stony heart from our hearts and give us a heart of flesh, one that is soft and receptive to your spirit. So Father, please bless us all and help us, Lord. Even as many of us, we struggle with our tongue. Help us to be overcomers, more than overcomers, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.